This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Direct access to a very deep cheshben and nefesh for all of us. For all of us to take a moment and just... Everyone just take a moment. If I had my guitar, I'd start strumming, but it's uh, it's sphere. And, and the truth is, it's it's perfectly permissible in this type of setting where if I were leading you on some kind of meditation or something. But everyone take a moment and just consider some story you're spinning off that is a story you tell around dysfunction. I can give you some subjects. One of them would be one of them would be diet which includes a lot of subjects because it's what you take in, when you take it in, how much you take in, and, you know, there's dysfunction there. Just for a hint on functional eating is, is, you ever notice when you eat something it stays for like at least I don't know what your metabolism's like, but I'd imagine the average person, it's going to stay, it stays over for like 24 hours. I mean, can you imagine that everyone who came to your door, you let in for 24 hours? It's like, when someone comes to your door, you like, you know, you're checking them out, you know, and by the way, most people come to your door looking for a handout, they're not looking for uh, sleeping over, but imagine when someone comes to your door asking to sleep over, you know, you're like... You know, let me ask my spouse. You know, it's like, I don't know if you're coming in here. You know, but, but we have no problem just giving food lodging for 24 hours that we thought might taste good. Now, I would definitely let more people stay in my doorway, you know, outside the door. Like, they stay in the doorway. But if you think about it, you've been hanging out in the doorway. Because you think something might taste good. But the second you swallow it, it's, it's no longer really part of your life. It's just kind of taking, it's taking, it's taking lodging. And it's, there's no enjoyment at all anymore. So it's like, once something's in, is there, gentlemen, is there no, uh, yo. Yeah, what's up? Is there no, um, you can come in this way. Is there no um, way around from there? People keep coming over there. And... Oh, you want me to close the door? Oh, that'd be good. Sure. But you can come through if you want. No, that's fine. <clears throat> anyway, so food's one subject. I already brought up the subject of time with family. So, like, for example, a lot of people have, you know, people work and... You know, you, you've got, you know, that, that's, a, that's a constant excuse, is working. So that's going to be less time with family. Um, another one is love. Another one is love. Everyone has a big spin on love. Like, love is a super complicated one. Like, for example, how do you like this one? I'm only going to share love with people I feel extremely, extremely safe with. How do you like that? Anyone got that one? 
I'm only going to share love with people I feel extremely safe with. Do you realize that that excludes your spouse automatically? <laughs> it's like, like, what's up with that? You realize you didn't think I was going to go straight to spouse, right? But you hear the giggling because we all know it's true. And so we all kind of walk around this world like ghosts. And we're all desperate for love and connection. We're desperate for it. And the reason we're desperate for it is because when we were little kids, our hearts broke. Like, before you even turned five, I would imagine your heart broke a thousand times. I mean, that's, there's so many, when you're born, your heart is, you're so able to give it to anybody. Like you're, and of course you're not meeting anybody, you're in your house, you're a little toddler. But your siblings, you trust all the way. And your parents, for sure. But they can't help but blow it. You know, they can't help but forget. You know, they come into your bedroom when you're asleep and they're, you know, they wipe the tear out of your eyes because you already fell asleep before the story started. But it was like they didn't make it to tell the story that they said they would. And then there's, of course, being in the supermarket, you know, and, and, you know, you think your mom is right next to you, but you got kind of distracted with an item, and then she's already in another row, and then you reach over and pull some lady's dress, and she looks down, like, and you look up, and you're like, and now you got some stranger carrying you around. Why you scream and like. And I'm like, you know, fairly careful with my kids' hearts, but I broke all their hearts so many times without even trying to. Like that time I was at Aish on my way to another class, I get a phone call, I pick it up and it says, it says, uh, hey, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, Goldberg from Shul. From Mayor Sharim and uh, Pins Carlene, he says, uh, "I've got your, I've got your boy here." I'm like, "What do you mean you have my boy here? Like, what are you doing, with my boy?" And he's like, "I found him crying outside of Pins Carlene." And then I was like, "Dope, no buses." My wife told me yesterday there's not going to be buses, and could I pick him up between my classes? And I forgot. Because I was teaching, I taught a few classes. I knew I had an hour break. But now it was already, that hour was over. And now I was on my way to my next class. And I can just imagine these little guys, you know, he's like five years old. And, you know, as the last few parents were picking up kids, they're like, you sure your tati's coming? <laughs> I'm sure the last father or son or mother took the last kid before my son was left alone. And you sure he's coming? Anyway, an hour later, he was found crying outside. And I didn't even go pick him up. I was like, 
Do you mind keeping an eye on him for the next hour? <laughs> you know, I probably had like a, I probably had like fifty birthright kids. You know, and, and birthright has a contract with Asia Torah that only me or Gob Friedman are allowed to speak to their people, and it's like to the birthright groups, and it's like it's not. There's no no there. It's like, and not to mention the chance for them. Now here's the story though is that when your heart broke, you said the following statement. And this is back to our stories. You said the following statement. You said, I will never love again. That's what you said. You said it. Even if you're a little kid and you couldn't articulate that, and you weren't, your brain wasn't developed enough to say such a thing, you said it in your heart. I will never love again. And what you meant by that was not that you'll never love. You'll love, but not like that. Not, not that depth of love. Not all the way in there. And the scary thing about this is that if you look at your life today, whether you're single or married, but especially scary if you're married, that you'll see that it's true you haven't even let your own spouse in as deep as you let people in when you didn't have all the walls up. And that's, you know, ladies, with that's with an insurance ring on your finger. He ain't going anywhere. But you still, it's not enough. And so then the question is, well, now that you will never love again, did your need for love go away? What do you say? Your need for love go away? Uh, How about water, for example? (laughs) If you can no longer access water, does your need for water go away? No. Tell me, if you can no longer access water, did the need go away or did it get even stronger? When you can't get what you need, it gets stronger, not not, it doesn't stay the same. It gets stronger. And so what happens in the end is... Our need for love is, we gotta like, somehow fulfill it because human beings always get what they need. We always get what they need. In fact, in, uh, there's still neighborhoods in Harlem in the Bronx where you can go and, and the, the paint on the walls, on the corner walls, like where the corners are, is missing from about this height down. You can't, there's no paint on the walls from this height down. And the reason is, is because there were times where the poverty was so heavy there in those neighborhoods. And it used to be before they knew that there was such a thing as lead poisoning. So there used to be lead in the paint. And somehow these kids found the minerals of lead, because lead's a mineral. They were able to suck the paint off the walls. Little toddlers were sucking the paint off the walls. In 
in these neighborhoods. Because we'll always get our needs met. Human beings will always get their need. And so in this particular case, we're talking about our actually actual deepest need. This is our deepest need. I mean, I think we could all say the following that that if you're that your life is only as good as your relationships. Your life is only as good as your relationships. You know, we all know people driving around Range Rovers and stuff who've like kind of made it and people envy them and they got the beautiful house and the beautiful everything, but it's like his life's only as good as his relationships. If you have great relationships, so then you have everything. And if you don't, you have nothing. I want to be the kind of person that when I pass away, that my family members don't go like, what a relief. I want drama. I don't want drama. I don't want to be a burden. Just want, I just want loving relationships. Now we find our nutrition. And if our deepest need is for love, you'll realize that there are, there's a counterfeit to love. There's a counterfeit for love that feels like love, looks like love. When you see someone getting it, you're like, Everyone loves them. Think about it for a moment. What is the counterfeit for love? What's the counterfeit for love? Looks like love, feels like love. If you see someone who gets it, yeah, the answer is attention. Consider for a moment that ever since you said that, that crazy dysfunctional thing of I'll never love again, Ever since then, it's about attention. Those who are better at getting it, did okay. Those who weren't so good at getting it, suffered more. But attention's not love. Love, when you have love, like tonight I'll be going to bed in a, a hotel room in... Stanford, and and my heart swells with love, thousands of miles away from my family. But when it's attention, it only works while you're getting it. The more you get, the harder you fall. And you could, it could be an hour later. You'd be laying in your bed an hour later, and like a deep dark hole in the heart. And this is why. Rock stars will choke on their own vomit at three in the morning. A quarter mile away from a stadium that holds 30,000 people. And everyone says the next day, but, but we, everyone loved him or everyone loved her. But attention is not love.
So everyone take a few moments and just think about, by the way, I'm going to heal all this too. I don't think I just created this tension and told you that you're all addicted to attention. And we're going to get to, to, to how to heal this one. But take a moment and just think about what are your narratives around the subject of your deepest need, your deepest need for love. What are your narratives around it? For example, is it conditional? Is it something you got to say, do, act, behave? Is that where you get it from? Like what what have you what stories have you spun around the subject? Take a moment, everyone, and think about your think about your relationships. I'll give you one example is uh, is if that's my deepest need, so then that's what I want the most. Like if my deepest need is love, I want love the most. But what can happen is you wind up getting addicted to what? What do you, if love's my deepest need, yeah, if love's my deepest need, what could I get addicted to? You probably think love. No, what I get addicted to is wanting it. Wanting love. Can you imagine being addicted to wanting love? But let me explain what it means to be addicted to wanting love. Addicted to wanting love means that if you ever finally have it, you'll sabotage it to go back to wanting it. You understand? You wind up in this like accordion relationship where it's like, I love you, I love you. And then you're like, wait, I, I don't even know what to do. Have, I don't know how to have love. So I gotta like, if I'm a man, I'm gonna like come home late and not even call. And she'll be like, where were you? And you'll be like, and then she's like, I can't live without you. I can't live without you. I love you. I love you. Or she'll do something stupid. And then he's like, how'd you do that? And then it's like, I hate you, I hate you, I love you. You realize that that you'd rather want love than actually have it. And it's very strange. Because especially if you're with your loved ones, like, have you ever noticed how dramatic it gets with family? With siblings, with cousins, with sisters, with brothers. It gets so dramatic. And meanwhile... Like, nothing's wrong. It's just that, it's just that we've lost access to just simply having it. The tent in the fourth tunnel. What'd you say? The tent in the first tunnel. Yeah, that is seriously the tent. It's like we're alone in the tent in the fourth tunnel. And like, you'll go to your therapist. And like explain it all, and you know you pay me two hundred and fifty bucks to tell a story around that. You know I'll I'll also sign off on it. And I remember with my wife and I, we were also playing this game until one day we were like, "Why don't we just 
Why don't we just have the love we want rather than want the love we have? Why don't we just have the love we want instead of want the love we have? If we so deeply want love, and you're here and I'm here, well, let's just have that love. But I'd like to share with you the the answer for how to have love. There's actually an, an answer how to do it. And the answer of how to have love in your life and to really have it is, it's one of these strange things, but what you do is you be the most loving person that anyone ever met. You simply be the most loving person that anyone ever met. When you go to a kiddish, you one most loving person at the kiddish. When you go to a wedding, you one most loving person at the wedding. No matter where you go, you go to shul, you're the most... Can you guys all imagine every time you go to shul, you win most loving man in the shul? And what it does is it causes people... It causes people who are living in this like drought of love because no one's willing think about it. The price for love is what? Vulnerability. If you want to love, you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable. But none of us want to be vulnerable because we were hurt so many times as kids. And so we won't even be vulnerable to love. And so we're not willing to pay that price. So what happens instead? We're all living in this giant drought of love. Everyone's walking around like a starving Ethiopian with a distended belly and a swollen skull and toothpick arms and flies everywhere. And we're like, everyone's so desperate for love. But yet you don't give any. Why? Because you're not willing to risk it. And so on the one hand, you're complaining, where's the love? But on the other hand, you're not putting any there. And so many years ago, I discovered the secret code on the lock of love. I discovered the secret code that, I guess, God placed this on this combination lock on love. And, you know, it's one of those trick combinations. You know, you're thinking, what could the number be? It's got four digits. Uh, you, know what the, you know what the digits are? It's one, 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 one. Love that one, love that one, love that one, and love that one. A good example of this was, uh, you probably, too, many of you are too young to experience this, but, uh, but uh, there was a rabbi by the name of Shlomo Karlebach. And I can't say I exactly quote him much, because I don't know if I agreed with all of his practices. But one thing for sure is that he would love bomb you. I mean, he would just, he would just give you so much love. Everyone got so much love from him. And the one thing you'll hear after he passed away is it was, it was like, he loved me the most. I mean, people were like competing at the funeral, funeral for who he loved the most. And there were all these like homeless people there from like, Central Park were showing up to it. And they were like, oh, he loved me the most. And they were like, who the hell are you? You know, he's like, oh, he came every night. And all of his Hasidim were like, you mean when we brought him home, almost carrying him home, 
after some big kumzits to go to sleep, he would say goodnight to all of us, and then as soon as we were gone, he would leave the house and go to strum his guitar for the homeless people. Wow, you know, I realized my brother wrote this most beautiful song of him. I wonder if I could sing it for you guys. Do you want to hear a song? Yeah, it's so pretty, this song. Um, the only problem with finding my brother's songs is they're listed according to albums, which means that all I have to do is remember which album, but he's got 22. So, I'll find No, I, I think I... I tried this a couple weeks ago. Let's see. Sam, 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 Sam. Uh, I didn't realize I was going to te- speak this much about love. But for some reason, I'm speaking a lot about love. By the way, I just got started with the combination of love, but you got to hear this one. Maybe I'll say it while I'm... Uh... So the combination lock on love... I should have put lyrics. Sam Glazer. Sam Glazer lyrics. There we go. Album lyrics. Here's the albums. It's on. It's on. Across the river. Oh, this is such a beautiful song. I hope I do it justice. I don't have my guitar or anything. It's not like I'm... Re- oh, here it is. called Song for Shlomo. Check out this song. <laughs> Ten thousand arms cannot embrace me like... Just had to... That's the high part. I have to make sure I'm starting in the right key. <laughs> Gotta be careful when you start songs without an instrument. <laughs> you know, it gets to the high part and you're like... Ah! <laughs> I just had to check that out. My brother's my best friend. Not that you're not my best friend, everybody. (laughs) But he really raised me. My parents, uh, I grew up in a weird culture. And uh, it was like, my parents, not my parents, everyone's parents. Where I grew up in West L.A. in the 1970s, they just kind of, it was kind of like, grow up. (laughs) We'll see you when you're adults. And so my brother was six years older and like highly adventurous. He was like, he was like, I'll raise him. And we were like best friends instantly. And then my brother went ahead and raised me. And it was so much fun being raised by my, my, I mean, think about it. When he was 16, I was 10. He was in high school. Being 10 years old at high school parties is really fun it's really fun and there was no curfew there were no rules it was like lots of love and no rules and there was no crime where we lived it was like nothing weird happened like the closest pedophile was like 11 zip codes away (laughs) I learned how to drive when I was 12 when I was 14 I drove from LA to, to, to Boulder, Colorado not because I wanted to. Is he, he doesn't like driving. <laughs> he was in university there, and he was like, 
okay, we're going on a big road trip, jump in the car. You know, and as soon as we were out of L.A., I was behind the wheel. And he just made me drive the whole way to Colorado. I think he felt that I would stay more alert considering I'm 14. <laughs> okay, I've never sung this in my life, so I've only got crazy enough to do this. How would you guys like to perform a song you've never sung before in front of all these people? Okay, I would. Okay. Are you listening? Are you listening? This is after he passed away. Are you listening? If you can hear me now, I want to thank you for the chance to sing a couple songs together. Are you listening? Can I tell you how you made this dark and lonely place seem a little sweeter than before you came to share the view that only you could see? And I will not give up hope. It's too, too. And I will not give up hope. He gave a lot of people because because I know that hope is always there, and I will not hold back my love. You showed me that love is everywhere. I just think about the times we had. Are you listening? Now that you're gone, I gotta wonder who can take your place To remind us why we're singing, are you listening? Ten thousand arms cannot embrace me like a single kiss The love that you were given seemed to know no worth Leap bounds, you always found the words to say and I will not give up hope. You show me that the hope is always there. And I will not hold back my love. You show me that love is everywhere. I'm just thinking about the times we had. And my troubles don't seem quite so bad. We're so lucky to have known you, you, So what you do is you just share love with everybody. Now, everyone's in a drought of love, and they're needing more and more. But they can't get it. So it's like you've got the commodity that everyone wants. And there's only a few things that you can give to the world right now. I mean, if you want to offer a product, I promise you someone's offering. You can offer cheaper. You can offer better. But... There's two things I can think of that that it's the thing that everyone needs the most. And 
And one of them is love. One of them is love. You never have to guess what anyone's deepest need is. You never have to guess that. That's always their deepest need. And obviously, you got to figure out how they like to receive love, you know, because there's, we all know there's words and there's gifts and there's touch and there's quality time and there's, and there's, you know, doing for people, like helping people, service. But you don't have to guess. That's all anyone wants. And now here's the crazy part. The crazy part is, why don't we give it? We don't give it because we said we don't want to be vulnerable. But who's vulnerable? Who's the vulnerable person? It's me, no? And the answer is, no. No, you're not vulnerable. You're actually a full-grown man now. And you're a full-grown woman now. You're not some little kid who's been left in the park. Meaning... We're like, you know what it's like? It's like, it's like having a little kid. You imagine like there was a little, little Yom Tov standing on the table here. And he's got a gun drawn on me. And I'm up here and he's making sure that I stay safe because he doesn't want to get hurt. So while I'm staying safe because this six-year-old kid doesn't want to get hurt, am I 43 or am I six? What's the answer? The answer, well, the answer is both, but really I'm six. At a certain point, you've got to realize like you've grown up now. You're, you're not so fragile. You can't have a little kid mop the floor, a little scared kid mop the floor with your adult life. And when it and when it comes to giving love, there's also there's also like you're always you're you're never not giving love. Meaning in the spheros, chesed is love, right? Because chesed's flow. Gavur is limit. So you gotta have flow and you gotta have limit. In life, no matter what you do. You know, you flow with the gas pedal, you limit with the brakes. You flow with the steering wheel, you limit with the lanes. Everything's, everything in the world is flow and limit. That's how life works. So, if you want to be in love, which is the heart, which is called Tiferis, well, if you know a little Kabbalah, it's very simple. Tiferis looks at the recipient of the love. Holding my right hand, that's the chesed. Do you want me to use this hand because it's your right? Uh, That'll confuse me. Tiferis looks at the recipient of the love and tells Gavura how much to limit it. It's very simple. So if like, if a guy walked in the door here with like long hair and and like tie-dye and like, he's just... Trippy hippie dude. And someone says, Hey, I want you to meet, hey, I want you to meet Rabbi Yom Tov. I want you to meet my, my, my brother George. So, brother George, he's getting a hug. Cause the recipients, 
this hippy-trippy huggy guy, huggy bear. Give him a hug. And then another guy comes in, hey, I'd like you to meet my, uh, my cousin Jed. And he's in a three-piece suit with a tie. And he's all uptight and clean-shaven. And like he's just like... Now, if, what would happen if I gave Jed a big bear hug? <laughs> well, let me ask you, am I in T. Ferris? No. The recipient is going to require space. And so, and so my job is to look at the recipient, add up how much love this person can handle, because i got a lot to give, and, and then say, okay, he's in a business suit. Now, if I just go like this, nice to meet you, that's too much Gavura. If I give him a hug, that's not enough Gavura. But if I shake his hand, that's just right. And another guy comes in and says, I'd like you to meet my wife, Zelda. <laughs> Zelda gets love too. But this is now someone's wife. And so, nice to meet you, Zelda. For there, a hand would be too much, too little Gavora. Standing stiff as a board and looking the other way, because I'm from Budapest. <laughs> You probably didn't realize Borough Park has a D in it. <laughs> a lot of people decide they're going to leave Budapak and move to Mandro. So, the that wouldn't be appropriate. The, the bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, everyone gets your love. That's it. One, the combination lock on love is one, 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 one. You give it to everybody based on how much they can handle. And, it, and, and you always are appropriate with it, which means you're always in Tiferis, looking at the recipient. By the way, for a bonus, who can tell me what Sphera is the recipient? Because then you're already learning four Spheras very well tonight. Right? Chesed is the flow. Gevura is the structure. Tiferis looks at the recipient. So which meat is the recipient? The answer is Malchus. Yeah, Malchus. Malchus is the recipient. That's all, all the spheres are to create our world. Our world's called Malchus, the physical. And in relationships, Malchus is the recipient of your love. But the problem is, is that all those times our hearts broke as kids... With well-meaning parents. I'm a well-meaning father. Very well-meaning. But I broke my kids' hearts many times. Unwittingly. So when the heart breaks all those times, you know what got broken? Which one? Gavur or Chesed? Which one got broken? Chesed got broken. Because their, their need for love was... was uh, you know, it was hurt. Got hurt. And so it's hard for them to flow. And you're, you're all part of this drought. And you're all pretty loving. I got some good hugs by the sushi over there. But that's what got hurt. That's what we're talking about. You have a broken mita. Your mita saches is broken. You walk by people like ghosts. I say hi to everybody. Because everyone gets something. 
there's other people who chas v'sholem were uh, were uh, you know they were violated as kids, and there the gevura broke. That's g- broken gevura. For that reason, you always see that if anyone if anyone was violated, you'll see that that their statistical chance of it happening in the future is goes like four times the what it was because now gevura is broken. And it's very hard as adults to recover from that because it's just so, it's just the gavura's broken. I have to heal my gavura. But, okay, that's those people. We gotta heal our chesed. All of us in this room have to heal our chesed. So something happens when you are the most loving person around. Again, in Tiferes, always in Tiferes. Your relationships, by the way, are going to last forever. Once you learn that lesson, everyone got the lesson of being in Tiferes? Where everyone gets the flow, just limiting it according to the recipient? You Everyone got that? That was clear? So, first of all, it's only ten spheres, and you now know four of them really well. And it makes for long-lasting relationships and no enemies. You over somebody i.e. you broke down their gavura, it's going to be over quickly. Maybe with a lawsuit. But it's going to be over quickly. If you're in Tiferes, you have long-lasting relationships forever with everyone. When you pass away, everyone should say at your funeral that you were just the most loving person they ever met. <laughs> that's what everyone needs. That's what everyone wants. It's like everyone's deepest desire. You don't have to guess what everyone wants. That's what everyone wants. And you're the you're the source of it. And don't be as don't be stingy. Don't just save it for your children or something. Children get a lot. Children get, what are they, what did children get? Children get, what would you say, a scale of one to ten, how much should your children get of your love? Nah. Yeah, they'd get a ten, but now they're misbehaving, go down to eight, go up to nine. How much should our wives get? That's always a ten. We have a double standard. Only women are allowed to play with the volume knob. <laughs> you ever tried punishing your wife with less love? <laughs> I tried that once. <laughs> once. Not a good idea. There's a couple of major double standards. The other one is is um, criticism. Women are allowed to criticize men, meaning their husbands. Husbands are never, ever, ever allowed to criticize their wives. And I don't know what's wrong with us, but we forget. And then they make us so sorry. It's amazing when we criticize our wives, you know, when we blow it, and then they get us back like five times. And while they get it, they're still on the first time, before we get the other four times. And while they're getting us back the first time, we're already like, I've done this before. Anyway, you never have to guess. Everyone wants love, and it's your love they want. If you're the one walking by, you're the one. If you're the one that's a kiddish, that's you. It's up to you. 
You want to be the safest person everyone feel ever felt. Safest person anyone, anyone ever knew for love. But even a driver, an Uber driver. I gave love. I had plenty of Uber drivers last week in Brooklyn. Uh, not plenty, but a couple. And uh, I was in Brooklyn Friday, Thursday, Friday. All my Uber drivers got love. Maybe a compliment on their car. That's words. Maybe a little tip. That was gifts. I didn't touch them. <laughs> but, but there was no just being that silent passenger in the back, that ghost, that that. There was never that that nothing. Now I can't tell you they got an eight, nine, or ten, but they definitely got a one or a two. And I probably gave them a three. If I was a woman in the bag, I'd give a one. You know, with a good morning or or good after or thank you. But I'm not just another ghost in a drought of love. Now, here's what happens. All the people are walking around in the drought. You're the most loving person anyone ever met. And what happens is they have this subconscious realization that you, you, are a safe address for love to occur. It's weird. I'm telling you, this happens vibrationally. Vibration, listen, their greatest need is love. This is an Ethiopian starving person in your shul. Starving for love. You're being the most loving person ever. And they're getting this subconscious vibrational magnetic pull towards you that you're the safest person here. You know, when you go into a big wedding, there's usually... A lot of energy around the family's table. And and then there's the wedding. When I go to a wedding, you guys can come and watch this. When I go to a wedding, there's two energy centers. There's the family. And I'm I'm just random. I'm not like they don't put me up at the in the Mizrach, you know, I'm not up at the on the days, you know. I'm just saying Mazel tov to I don't know, some seminar graduate who I happened to be in New York and had a little time to jump by and say Mazel tov or whatever. And and then I go over to sit with the, you know, just at some table because I had a friend there. That becomes the buzz over there. There's nothing to do with me. It's just people are coming to be loved. You are a magnet for it because if they're starving and you're you're the one with the with a stick on your shoulders with two big buckets of water spilling everywhere, come and drink. You're the one with the well. You're the one with the spring. To a bunch of starving people. Of course they're going to come. Now how do they know you're so safe? Because you're being so loving. You understand that if you're being loving, it must mean you're safe. By the way, you can just fake this. Just fake it till you make it. People will just say, wow, that's a very loving person. Feel pretty safe with that person because if you feel safe... They feel safe. And love comes back to you in truckloads. It's weird. 
I guess it's because, you know, they've all been holding it back. They've all been like, you know, there's been this big dam for all their lives. And then you finally, like, let them feel safe enough to experience your love. And it just comes back in truckloads. I mean, it's one of the few things that you give. When you give it, you get more of it right back at you. Until you just, your whole life, you're just a sea of love. Just a sea of love. Actually, I actually own that website. I'm a sea of love.com. <laughs> I never did anything with it. It's like all my videos on Facebook are stored on I'm a sea of love.com. But if you ever want to see a treasure trove of, uh, treasure trove of videos, I'm a sea of love.com. It's like, I don't know how many hours, 500, 600 hours of videos in there. So let's everyone everyone I know you're you're New Yorkers and stuff and it's not California, but I'd like you all to repeat with me. I'm a safe address for love to occur. Say that. Close your eyes a moment. Let yourself be vulnerable there. And say, I'm a safe address for love to occur. A third time, just to make it a chazaka, I'm a safe address for love to occur. Keep your eyes closed. You're not one of these people saying, where's the love? You're this person declaring, here's the love. Whisper, here's the love. Here's the love. It's no longer where's the love, it's here's the love. Whisper, I'm a sea of love. give you a last spin-off of the Tunnel 4, the end of Tunnel 4 in love. Right now, as I speak to you, we're in Flatbush. Flatbush, Borough Park, Williamsburg, Lakewood. These are cities that, that were formed after the war. Now, there are three types of survivors from World War, World War II, from the Holocaust. These, this is a survivor area here. I mean, it's also got Syrians. You know, and Bukharians. But, but it's, all the Ashkenazim are basically from survivor families. And there are three types of survivors. Survivor number one, I have a very strong feeling for because I grew up with the survivor ones. Survivor ones are the people who survived only physically. Only physically. They lost their Yiddishkeit. Sorry, this needs a tiny intro. Uh, whenever they're suffering, we disassociate. Human beings have a move we make called disassociation. You know, like when the, you know when like a dentist is coming at your gums with a needle to numb them up? I mean, does, I don't, I don't even like toothbrush bristles touching my gums very much. That's a needle. No thank you. But did you notice how you kind of put your brain on the shelf while it goes in? And you don't have much time for this, but, you know, they're kind of like, you know, you'll, you're going to feel a little prick. You're like, 
my goodness. You know, and you just got to put your brain on the shelf for a second. So that's a psychological move whenever there's pain called disassociation. It's called disassociation in psychology, which means normally you're associated with yourself, but you can actually disassociate with yourself. This is what trauma victims have because, because people who really suffered trauma disassociated, but it was so bad that they, per- some can get actually permanently disassociated. I've helped heal a lot of people permanently disassociated. It's, it's not simple. Not a, not pretty either to watch it happen. Watch the healing process because it, the, it comes with serious shaking and screaming and all kinds of stuff. But when there's lots of it, Lots of trauma, lots of suffering, so someone can actually disassociate permanently. Where you lose your eye. Like, we all have an eye here. But there was a whole generation of people who lost their eye in the war. There's three types of, of, three types of survivors. The vast majority of survivors that came to America were only physical survivors. They lost their Yiddishkeit and they lost their eye. But they, their body's there and they, they did very well. Then you got Brooklyn. Brooklyn are the double survivors. The double survivors survived with their body and they rebuilt Yiddishkeit and we owe them our lives today. We owe them our lives. And you know, I want to know something. Even the Syrians who get take advantage of the power of this neighborhood, how much of that was from those survivors that built this place? It's a, there's a debt of gratitude there for creating a makom Torah here for the Syrians, because Syrians are like they're like Hasidim when it comes to Yiddishkeit. But they needed a place too. It's America. America dream is a Jewish nightmare. So they survived with their bodies and they made Yiddishkeit survive. And they rebuilt the shuls and the yeshivas and everything and they showed those Nazi bastards. And we owe them everything for what they did for us. But there's very, very few of them that survived also with their eye. Very few. And so a whole generation had to grow up without ever hearing the words, I love you. From parents who loved them very much, but it was like, love was shown through service. You do for somebody. Maybe gifts, if you're Hungarian, gifts and service. But it's you can't cancel out the words, I love you. But if you don't have an I, you can't say, I love you. If there's no I, have you ever even noticed sometimes that you say love you to people? Like you skip the I part? That's part of it. I once asked a group of uh, 40, 40 to 50 year old men in Brooklyn. Are we in Brooklyn? Oh. I once asked a group of 40 year old men who are all kids of elderly uh, survivors. And I asked them, Gentlemen, and there are 30 of them in the room, I said, gentlemen, when's the last time any of you told your wife that you love you, that you love her? 
So one guy raised his hand. He won. He beat them all. He said, 10 years ago. <laughs> and, but I've met men who, after my classes, said it for the first time in, in 30 years, 35 years. I asked him how it felt. He said, good. <laughs> he wasn't very emotive. Anyway, the so guess what the guy said? He said, but Rabbi, it's the weirdest thing. I remember what I said because it was hard for me to say it. You know what I said? I said, what do you mean, what did you say? You said, I love you. That's what I asked. He said, no, I didn't say I love you. I said, you are loved. <laughs> Now, it even goes so far as there are survivors in, like, Williamsburg who have taken love out of the dictionary. I mean, they, they literally, like, they spun... It's just, again, we create hushkuff around dysfunction. So they have that dysfunction, so they just got rid of the word altogether. They, 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 they turned it into, like, kind of like that industry that, you know, should disappear, please God, from the world, but... They, they considered it something dirty. And so, and so they, just, they just created hushkafa that it's out. Love's out. Like, it's not a word we use. Now, I know I spent a lot of time, we're finishing this part and then there'll be questions and answers. I know I spent a lot of time on dysfunction around love. I basically dedicated most of this share on that. Take it home with you tonight. And when you're going to sleep tonight, after you say Krishna, lay down in your bed, I want you to, I want you to do a little Cheshban on on how stingy you've been. How much you've had a little kid with a gun behind you, protecting you all the time. You don't need any protection. You don't need any protection. You're an adult. And you have the perfect protection of Tiferis. As long as you're always in Tiferis, you're protected. Make sure that you're the most loving person. Everywhere you go, from family to strangers. Thank you very much. One of my specialties is questions and answers, but please don't ask any question about love. Uh, I was going to say we should focus it on love. Okay, <laughs> questions on love. But, no, but seriously, it would be so much fun for me. For years and years and years, people would come with their questions. About Yiddishkeit, God, is there a God, there's not a God, what is God, what is God thinking with all the suffering? Like, all those great questions. You know, Corona, oh, here they call it something else. You guys call it Corona? Corona. What's Corona? 
Corona. <laughs> Any of these questions? Please don't be shy. I saw the paper was totally empty, so I took the liberty to put in my wiring info for anybody who wants to sponsor anything. Obviously, it's free admission, but we always accept donations for the next events. Nobody makes a dollar off this event. It's like I have no payroll on me or nothing. It's just strictly to be able to further this uh, these lectures, so please feel free to open your hearts and ask away. Ask any questions you like while you have the rabbi, because... He's in Israel most of the year, so take advantage of the opportunity. Oh, I also just want to mention uh, for everyone that that I run a seminar called The Possible You. I've been running it for 20 years. I have 10,000 graduates. I've just finished two seminars in Muncie, two seminars in Lakewood. And we've gotten so hassled by, like, I keep getting these WhatsApps saying, don't forget Brooklyn, don't forget Brooklyn, don't forget Brooklyn. And in fact, there was someone in the shir tonight who was one of those people hassling me about not forgetting Brooklyn. So I'm coming to Brooklyn May 23rd. At this point, it's only men. But I had an idea. What if, what, what if I did it in the day for men? And just like owners and companies could come. And at night, it'll be all the working women will be able to come after work. She's nodding. You have to be like 25 years old than this. You don't look 25 to me. Anyway, I feel bad because I already like dropped the women from Brooklyn because they all work. You see, in Muncie, women are by day and the men are at night. And Lakewood, the women are by day and the men are at night. Brooklyn, women work. They don't come by day. So, so I, I don't know. I feel bad. But anyway, I'm going to be in Brooklyn, men, May 23rd. And uh, June 6th, this is like coming right up. June 6th. May, uh, that one's the day. Brooklyn's right after Shavuos. Muncie's right June 6th, and Lakewood's June 13th. It, it's an actually transformational seminar, and in fact, there's many people who are there who could tell you all about the transformations there. Uh, but uh, questions, please. Yes. So, Remind me to repeat questions in case you don't hear. Go ahead. You forgot your question. But hold on, we'll come back. Um, you talk about like giving love to others and being very loving, but how does how does one like how can one be loving to themselves? Like if they have a limited belief that they don't, they're not worthy of love. So I did. And there's many ways to learn to love yourself, um, but just there's a couple tricks of the trade. One of them is you look in a mirror twice a day, night and morning, and you look yourself like dead in the eyes, and you say to yourself, "I love you." I really, you got to underline the word really if you're taking notes. I love you. I really love you. Now, if you spit on the mirror, break the mirror. Can't say it or you said it but you didn't mean it. So then you say the following words. I'm willing to learn to love you. Okay, you say I'm willing to love you twice a day. I learned this when I was 20 years old. And I couldn't say I love you. So, so I, uh, so I said I'm willing to learn to love you. It took me five weeks till I could finally say that I love you, I really love you. Questions, questions, come on, come on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I recognize you said uh, a, a phrase, all, I will not hold back. It was from the song. And I will not hold back my love. That's kind of a key for me, because I experienced love is giving, and if you are willing to give, you start the process. So it's kind of, um, You're just making that point, but you got it. I'm holding this crowd in by like the seat of their pants because after a share, everyone just wants to get up. Do you have a question, a specific question? Um, uh, is, 
Yeah, for sure. Holding back is the opposite of, of giving it. Uh, someone else question? Come on, guys. You got like, this is one of my specialties in Yerushalayim. I would get a class, for like 40 kids every day, and they would ask me these killer questions that like, like that, bo- first of all, they bother them badly. They never found their rabbi answer it. And by the way, I'm not saying I have the answer. But after all those years, I like, if I didn't know an answer, I went and found it out and then would know it the next time or call that person. Would you mind doing a refresher on acceptance versus approval? Yeah, I would mind, yeah. I would mind, yeah. Questions? Questions? Sometimes you have a hard time receiving love. And you give over love a lot. You keep giving love to people, but sometimes you have a hard time receiving it. How does one learn to receive the love that they're um, It's probably good to go back in your life with, you know, do some regression in your life to figure out if there was a time that uh, that love didn't work out, like something went wrong, and heal that. you got to heal that stuff, and then you'll receive much better. As soon as you heal out the parts of you that... that when something goes wrong, you got to heal that. You can't just, like, start... You can just love everybody. And it's beautiful, but... If you want to really receive it, and that's the same question, if you want to really receive it, then you gotta heal, you gotta heal where things went south. And everyone has a story where things went south. Now it can go a little south, like all those micro painful things when we were little, all the broken hearts, but there can have big, you can have big things that can really make you like not able, like you've lost your antennas for, for like sensing it, sensing your love, the love of people. Questions? Come on, no more questions about love, please. Yeah. So, how do you stop comparing yourself to other people? That's literally how do you not compare yourself? So, we got a secret from Chazal regarding comparing ourselves. It asks us to do something that's more or less impossible, and that's to, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how am I supposed to love my neighbor? When I meet someone for the first time, you know, I'm just saying hi to someone for the first time. So, uh, let's say, uh, can I borrow you for a second? Come? Yeah. You're famous. You know. yeah. Okay, here's my lovely assistant. So, remind me your name. Benzi. Benzi, what's your last name? Schaefer. 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 Yeah. So, Benzi Schaefer here. And and let's say I don't know Benzi Schaefer at all. So, now I'm meeting... Yo, you ask a question, I'm trying to answer. So, <laughs> I, just, I just wanted you to see. So, I'm meeting this guy for the first time. So I come up to meet Bensi Schaefer. So, hi, what's your name? Bensi. Hi, Bensi. I'm Yom Nice to meet you. Now, first of all, I've already forgot his name. Right. You notice that? You meet someone, the name's gone. Like, the guy just said his name. Like, where'd it go? And the answer is, I'm not that happy to meet him right now. You know why? I don't know him. So there's a couple things I don't know. One, is he accepting or is he judgmental? I don't know. That's one. But then comes the, the judgments. And the judgments are, is he smarter or is he dumber? Is he, is he better looking, less good looking? Is he in stronger, weaker? Better shape, less good shape? Richer, poorer? More religious, less religious? And it's just like this category after category after category to category of unknowns. These are all question marks. No wonder I don't remember his name. I'm not very safe here. Because I don't know how I add up with this guy. 
So it says, but it's like, how am I ever supposed to love my neighbor if I'm busy comparing myself to him? So that's why the next words, the next words are Ani Hashem. And the Kabbalists teach us that the reason it says there, Ani Hashem, is to let you know that there's actually something we all have in common. That we all have neshumas, and our neshumas are chelak mal, and so the consciousness in your actual, you sitting there right now, consciously aware of yourself, is His consciousness. And so Hashem's in you. That's the Ani Hashem. And so that is the great equalizer. So we're, we're totally equal when we generate from the Shema. When we generate from all those categories I spoke about, one of us is always going to be higher and one of us is always going to be lower. But when we generate from the Shema, we're the same. And so like you're looking right at my eyes right now. It's beautiful. I'm looking at your eyes. So keep looking. And realize that you're a conscious being, right? You're conscious you're in Or Yitzchak right now? Yeah. I'm conscious I'm here. So we both have a consciousness. But that consciousness is the same. And it, does, it's not, it doesn't show up on MRIs. It won't show up in a brain scan. It's one of the biggest kashas to atheists is where does consciousness come from? And yet it's, it's interchangeable. If my brain was suddenly in your and yours in mine, this wouldn't change. It would be the same experience. I mean, it'd be a little weird, yeah. <laughs> but but we'd, it would, nothing would change because when you're when you're with Ani Hashem, with all people, so then there's no com- there's no comparison. There's no there's no uh, you know higher or lower. It's just we're one. We're one, and and so then I'm actually genuinely interested in his name, and I'll remember his name, and I want to know everything about him because I'm okay. And he's okay, and we're all souls. We're all one. Okay, let's hear it from my lovely assistant. Thank you. Anyway, so you, you stop judging when you do that. And also, uh, you know, it's, it's also that we always have to know that, how do you say, uh, uh, one of my Yiddish speakers will say, uh, whenever you see the the... Moom in someone, it's be mumog poisloy or something. You know what I'm talking about? Moshi, you know that one? Moshi? Yeah. Say it louder. Kol ha poisel be mumog poisel. Anyone who puzzles somebody else, it's in their, it's in their blemish they puzzle them. They puzzle them. Got it? Questions? Now we're getting some good questions. Yeah. Um, if you give if you give love to everyone, love. you become the person that they place their burdens on them. Right? When you give a lot of love to someone, they eventually trust you. You're a safe zone for them. Yeah. So they, they start telling you. They become. They start giving over all their burdens. How do you use How do you use the gavur part of you to not let that happen, but just yeah. Has anyone noticed that that if you that there's certain people who just burden you with all their stuff if you let them in? Yeah. So, so it took me many years to get people to stop doing that to me, but eventually I figured it out. Let me see if I can answer how I figured that out. Because by the way, does it help them when they burden you? Like, 
Do you get to see them a week later and the burden's gone, or they're just going to do it all over again? Do you notice it never ends? So it just never ends with certain people. They just it's like they it's like they never get better, and and so so what I did was I discovered, and I'm going to see if I can figure out how I did this, but I became like Teflon for these people. So they just they go to other people. I'm not. I really don't know how I did this, but I became not available anymore for that, for that kind of you know dysfunctional relating. I, I know I have an answer how I did. I can't remember. It was so many years ago. It's amazing. No one ever does that. I mean, think about it. I'm like, people come to me for everything, but those types, the one with the big sack that they throw on you. Every time, and it never gets better. Never comes my way. It used to. Used to. What did I do to get rid of that? It was a vibrational shift I had. But did you not come safe after that? I think what it might have been was. Uh, I think what it might have been was was. Um, I became someone who really helps people. And, and I think when I became someone who really helps people, so the unhelpables sensed it vibrationally that I'm not the address to dump their stuff on. And then they just, they just found someone who was. So my answer to you, what's your first name again? David. David. My answer to you, David, is become someone who really helps people. And they'll just go find someone else. You understand? Because you can never help them. They're hooked on help. That's their addiction, is getting help. And so, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Being hooked on Maybe some of you are in the room right now. We're the hooked on help day. But you'll find, if you're hooked on help, you'll see you won't even want to talk to me afterwards. You'll like, you'll find someone else who's willing to, willing to let you be hooked on help with them. It's like you're walking up to every tractor you see and saying, are you my mother? <laughs> and, and like, that's your whole life. Yeah. Uh, then who's going to help them? No one. No one. They can eventually realize... I've helped people realize they're hooked on help. And when they realize they're hooked on help, that usually is all they need. It's just kind of... It's like saying to someone, boo. And they're like, you call them out on their own their own thing. You know, they're totally addicted to, to getting help. But if you help them, it's like now they have to like get back to what was wrong and then get back to getting help. They're addicted to help. So if you call them out on being, I call it hooked on help. Everyone try that word? Hooked on help. So if you meet someone hooked on help, the way you help them is by not helping them. And and tell them you're hooked on help. And I have noticed, by the way, that the hooked on help types, have a they don't have a very good relationship with their father. They don't have a good, very good relationship with their father. They're... Um, they're, um, it's like this. What's a father? Like, in a very macro term, a father is the one with the compass to get you out of the forest. You know, fathers like, 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 they like lead the way, you know? And, and the wife and the kids and everyone's kind of counting on the father to navigate out of the, out of the woods. That's a father. But there's different kinds of fathers. There's passive fathers. There's weak fathers. There's, there's dead fathers. There's, there's um, divorced fathers, there's, there's feminized fathers, there's every kind of father out there that 
he just is not really getting anyone out of the woods. He's just, whatever, he's a passive father. Whatever the list is, they're all passive. So you don't have a compass. So what can happen is you can spend your whole life looking for father. And that's what's really going on, is they're just looking for father. And, and you don't serve them by being father. You serve them by calling them out on searching for father. Let them curl up into a little fetal position ball and sob his eyes out if you're qualified for that. That's what I do with people. But let them curl up in a little ball and sob out his need for father until he's healed healed it out. And then he'll find that he's no longer lost. Because we're not lost. He's not lost. He just thinks he's lost. And he keeps thinking you're going to show him the way. Or her the way. So people get hooked on help. And and that's the way up. And I'm so glad I thought of it. You know, I, I didn't know the answer until I started thinking through it. And there it was. Yeah. So how do you know what your love language is? And how do you know what somebody else's love language is? How do you figure out what somebody else expects? So for you, you figure out your love language by by just, you know, noticing each one and seeing which one really... Um, you're a sucker for whatever is your key love language you're an absolute sucker for so like for example my wife's a sucker for service so so the uh, so for example i i all i have to do is walk into my kitchen see her cooking there she's like chopping up vegetables for a soup or something so i just reach in the drawer and grab out a cucumber and she's looking at me like you got to be kidding like you're gonna help me cook here and and i grab a knife cutting board and i'm just like Slides that cucumber in two. She's like, I'm loved. And then I go back to whatever I was doing. <laughs> and there's my wife in the kitchen. Two halves of a cucumber. What is it, cucumber soup? Like She wasn't making a salad. She was making a soup. And I sliced a cucumber in half. Now we have two halves of cucumber wrapped in the fridge. And But she's loved. Shabbos meal ends. What did I used to do? I used to get, I grew up with like housekeepers and stuff, you know. So Shabbos meal would end. What do I do? I, like this guy, I get up and go to bed. You know, Shabbos lunch. Just kidding. I have no idea what you do after Shabbos lunch, but I go to bed. So now, once I learned that there's five love languages, my wife's love language is service. Now I start bussing stuff into the kitchen. How much stuff do I bus until she says, sweetheart, thank you so much for helping. Then I go to bed. <laughs> I rarely make more than two trips. Now, I'm not trying to be lazy or anything, but we've got a large house full of lots of people all the time, and everyone's very helpful. So I do my part. I didn't used to. I was like this, you know, it's like people who grew up with housekeepers. You know, like I, I, only, I only got to Israel because of my father's bankruptcy, you know. Like I, I, and we didn't lift a finger ever. Like, when you were done with a pair of clothes, you threw them on the floor, and they were gone ten minutes later, and back in your shelf an hour later. You know, so I, I, my, my poor wife, you know, she's from a very service family, and she like, married me. It's like, disaster. But I've learned to serve. I've learned to serve, and I, I do what I can. But, um, now that our house is starting to empty out a bit with weddings, I'm serving a lot more. I've been doing whole sinks of dishes, and I love it. And she washes, and I dry. And we get to talk, and she just, 
I, I mean, there's nothing I can do that brings more closeness than drying dishes that she's washing. And we, lo- we love it. We've been doing it. And my girls, I have a lot of daughters, and they're just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> they, like, love watching mommy finally getting helped and feeling loved. So, anyway, that's for you. You'll be a sucker for it. So, mine's words. And, like, you could tell me after this share, you say, Rabbi Glazer, you know, that share really made a big difference for me. And you have no idea how much I love, I've, I'll feel like You could be totally lying. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like a sucker for words, whatever it is. You know, if, if someone's a sucker for touch, so I'll just go over to him, you know, at my Shabbos table, you know, some guest, and I, I know he's touch. Usually people are a little bigger, heavier. You know, there's certain people where touch people. So, so I, I go over him, and you know, I'm just coming back to my chair or whatever. I was in the bathroom, whatever. I'm coming back to my chair. I'll just stop by over there with my hand on his neck and just like kind of massage his neck and shoulders there. He's like, he's melting. He's <laughs> melting from the touch. So anyway, that's your answer. There's your, there, whatever's the love language, they're suckers for it. Absolute suckers for it. Okay, uh, keep the questions coming. Come on. I'm having so much fun. No one asked me questions. It's so long. Yeah. How do you find the balance between family, work, and your own space? Family, work, your own space? Whoa, that's a question. <laughs> you notice how I'm teaching every answer based on my horrible mistakes? So this is family, work, and your own space. Um, uh, I don't even know how to answer that question, really. Um, I'd like to say that family's first, because if you don't have your wife's bracha, you know, then work's not going to be successful. You know, our work really succeeds with the bracha from the wife. So you can kind of look at your wife about the family time. She'll send you out when it's time. She doesn't want you around that much anyway. And, uh, you know, wives, they, they don't like an at, the at-home dad, you know. And um, so base it on her. So I guess she will help. And, um, and then uh, your own space... I would imagine that um, I base my own space on my wife also. So she knows I need it. And you know, I do my mostly in outdoor sports. And that's where I get my space. And she, she's like, she'll like send me out. I can tell you one place not to get your own space is on your smartphone late at night. Um, that's, that's not the best timing. Um, the reason is the morning again. Yeah, you'll be a ghost to your children if you do that. So, oh, by the way, I don't want anyone to think I'm a late riser. I'm not a late riser, it's just that school kids are 7.30. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about. They're, they're up at 7.30 in the morning. And that's like that's like an ungodly hour. So, but smartphone late at night to get your space. So many people finally get their space with their smartphone at the end of the night. And they snuggle up to the smartphone. And but the problem is is especially if you hit YouTube, I don't know what happens with the clock, but it just starts spinning real fast. There's something about after midnight, does do like minutes become like thirty seconds? Because it's just a wah, just zing, and then it lines up everything on the subject of like crazy car crashes, right? And and it's like, let's watch some more crazy car crashes. And 
You know, so lion versus bear. You know, <laughs> oh, two minutes. I got two minutes, <laughs> but it's ne- it's never two minutes. Anyway, so so you got to create some kind of moratorium for your smartphone at night to like make it make it like really limit that. You know, that's where that's a soft spot. And one of the ways to do it is get out of your bedroom. But no one can get out of their bedroom because they need the alarm. And of course, the spouse is like, I'll buy an alarm clock. But that doesn't work either. So there's nothing like smartphone alarms. And by the way, hey, who wants a million dollar business idea? Anyone interested? Any entrepreneurs waiting for an idea? Oh, do I got an idea? Do I have an idea? I've never told anyone this, but I think I've come to the point to admit that I'm never going to do this. So, so I'm giving this out and whoever wants to make a million dollars has got it. I, I mean, it's just, this is going to sell like hotcakes. I have other ideas too, but I'm not giving those out right now. So this is the hotcakes one. You ready for this? You make a smartphone that's got the same volume and the same incredible, unbelievable functionality of our alarms, the alarms on smartphones. It's that. It's that app. But there's, it doesn't do anything else. That's all it does. It's got the screen with all the different times, and you can get Shabbos set up, and you can get the nap set up for Shabbos, and you, you can do all kinds of cool ringers, everything. There's no difference between your smartphone and this smartphone. It'll cost nothing, because you don't need a special screen or anything good about it. You don't need anything else. All it needs is the alarm. And now, when your wife says, get that thing out of our room, you're like, I need it for the alarm. She says, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And like, literally, like, how many people on the earth? Seven billion? So three and a half billion are going to buy it for their husbands. And just say, here's your, here's your smartphone for your alarm, honey. You say, not exactly what I meant. You know, and... Anyway, but once you're, once you're into smartphone alarms, you can't use an alarm clock. Alarm clocks are out. I, myself, I can't. So what I've worked out is I plug it in. I plug it in near the foot of my bed, and it goes in the closet. I close the closet door, and I go to bed. And, and the other thing is women, like the, the women have this need to go to sleep at the same time as their husbands. You know what I'm talking about, anyone here? Men have this need to go to bed like three hours after their wife. Like, you put your wife to get bed with the kids. <laughs> so, so, if you can go to sleep at the same time as your wife, at least a couple nights a week, it's such a gift to give them. Like, they, they, they waited their whole lives. They've been elbowed out of their way by their mothers when they were girls. Mothers are amazing at elbowing out their daughters from their father's attention. You know, they, they, girls are desperate for their father's attention. And, and, and by the way, gentlemen, to protect your daughter from the ravages of modern society, you have to know that, and women promote this for your husbands. In, in our world, your daughter, your, a man's daughters are his girl, a, a, a girl's father is her boyfriend till she's married. And, and so us as fathers have to treat each girl with a very special relationship. Because all those girls who are getting into trouble out there on the streets, they're all just seeking their father. They're all just trying to find their father. And, 
And it's the fathers that blew it. And when I help a man whose daughter's off the off the D, so I always tell him, you you gotta make her your girlfriend until she gets married. You gotta give her if she if her language loves gifts, you gotta be buying her gifts. If it's quality time, you gotta give her the quality time. But that's every girl needs a boyfriend from a certain age, and that's your her father until marriage. Now, um, anyway, but but make an effort to go to sleep with your wife because she waited so many years to finally have a man that's all hers, 100% hers. And it's like, and what does the man want to do? He's like, I already conquered her. I'm going to go make a million dollars. Yeah, and he just disappears into the work world and she's like, she spent her whole singlehood frustrated that she can't get to her father and now she spends her whole married life that you can't get to her husband. It's like so cruel, you know. So the least we can do is go to sleep at the same time a couple nights a week. Yeah. Okay. Maria. How do you know when a person's dating when is he ready to get married? Huh? How do you know when a person's dating's ready to get married? Why would he date if he wasn't ready to get married? How does one know if they're ready? What? What are you talking about? Why would anyone date if they're not ready to get married? They're just practicing? <laughs> oh. You understand? It's, I didn't understand that. We're from like, I, I, I mean, we're doing like Hasidic dating in our situation. So it's like, um, how do you know? Because you've hit 45 minutes. <laughs> you know, in our circles, the way dating goes is you, you, the guy meets the girl. After 45 minutes, you know, they come out to their families and the parents ask, so what do you say? And they're like, I don't know. And they say, Mazel <laughs> And out come the cakes. And out come both families have driven in from like all over. People have flown in, you know, and so how do you know? You should, um, so there's a great question. It's a great question. Here's the answer. The woman should know because women have great instincts for these things. She knows because she knows. The man knows because he should get, he should be really scared. He should be really scared. If he's really scared, that's the one. If he's really excited, he needs a cold shower. So she should know, she should know, and he should be scared. And that's how we always judge it at H-Tor when a guy was ready at all. Because what happens is the guy becomes from, he thinks like we're going to hand him a girl any minute now. And, you know, he's so excited for him to finally get his girl. And like, when, when do I get to date? When do I get to date? That's the guy we say, ah, a little longer. A little longer. It's the guy who stops asking. And then you go up to him and you say, so you're starting to think about dating? He's like, I'd like to learn another's mind, please. And that's the guy who's ready. Because now he knows what kind of responsibility it is to take on a wife. And now that he realizes what he's, what he's dealing with here, he's ready. And now if you're dating someone already, as I said before, you should be getting scared. She should be getting, you know, like, like all her, all her intuitions, like binging away. It's like bing, 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 bing. And you, he's scared, 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 scared. So while I'm on the subject, I'll just say one more thing to so the girls, cause there's a couple, 
young girls here, um, just that they should know this, is that after you get engaged, it's very important to stay away from your uh, fiancé. Like, you shouldn't see him really until the wedding day. Now, if that's a little too much to ask, so should, let's put it like this. You should see him as little as possible till the wedding day. And the reason is, is because when a man, it's very hard for men to marry. Very hard. Men are polygamous by nature. And it's very hard for them to lock into one person. And so what happens is, before he gets married to you, every little thing you do is magic. Before he marries you, every little thing you do is magic. He's just like, even your like little funny things you do are the cutest things he's ever seen in his life. Because why? Because it's always in the context is, is she the one? Is she the one? Is she the one? Which he hopes it is. So he's like, is she the one? Is she the one? So every little thing she does is magic. Every little thing she does is magic. So, and then what happens is now there's an engagement. You break the plate. You drink l'chayim. Mazadav. Everyone comes. Amazing simcha. He goes home that night. He lays down in his bed. And he looks up at the ceiling. ceiling and he hears this voice in his head that says, You idiot. You just made the biggest mistake in your entire life. Now, that voice gets louder and louder and louder till the chasana. Now, the girl's like, oh, maybe we could see each other Friday before Shabbos. And, and, he's, and he's just like, yeah. And now, now this little twitch she has, which you thought was cute, is like, I think it's epileptic. And, and it's like, and it, I'm not kidding. Every little thing you do becomes exactly why it was a mistake. And so, and it's not just everything you do, it's how you look, it's everything. It's how much you weigh. It's like every little detail about you is what's scaring him. And so all the stuff he thought was cute it ain't cute. It's like, because think about it, one's a context is, one context was, is it her, or is it her, or is it her? Meaning really, I hope it's her, I hope it's her, I hope it's her, I hope it's her. And then it goes to, you just made the biggest mistake of your life, and there's the proof. And, and everything she says is just proof that you blew it. That you blew it. You just ruined your life. And, and so, when you get engaged, ladies, stay away from them. Just let them stay in that original fantasy of who you are. And by the way, it's not that you're not great. You are great. And he gets that you're great. But once he's in the context of scared, that's a different lens he's wearing when he sees you. And so they get really scared. Now that voice, that voice, I'm about to say something you're all going to hate me and never come back to another one of my classes. That voice is, I just made the biggest mistake of my entire life. Gets louder and louder until the wedding. After the wedding... It gets quieter and quieter for the next 50 years. And this is why the wise woman, even if she's wearing shmatas and a snood, when her husband comes home, she's dressed. And, and she's, she never, you, you, a woman never stops seducing her husband from the wedding day until they, till death do they part. And that's the wise woman. And she just can't, she never stops getting his attention. In, when I say attention, I mean 
you know, his, his, this time attention means love, meaning she never stops drawing him toward her, ever, ever. And the ones who rest on the fact that they landed them, they landed their fish on the boat, are the ones who suffer later. You never are done seducing a man who's wondering if he made a mistake. <laughs> so, uh, uh, one last thing, but I'm, I'm not going to go. Yeah, go ahead. Moishi. So, how do you deal when you challenge someone with love and it's, it's clear that the guy is receiving the love, or the individual is receiving the love, and you are at a level where you love each other, and then the other person does something that is clear that he does not love you, and the same level you love him. So, yeah, meaning how do you deal with the heartbreak that you're loving on a level they're not? What's the question? Well, they're not loving, and you, and you thought you are, and they're not loving back. Yeah, it's a big wake-up call. You know, love's only as strong as its weakest link. You know, Moji, if I if I love you at a at, if I love you at a ten and you love me at an eight, where do we meet? Eight. And that's a bit of a heartbreak to find out that who I was loving at a ten is really an eight. But it's a good reality reality check too. I don't think you have to be so brokenhearted. It's just a reality check. You were living in some dreamland when, in fact, this uh, you were in a dreamland when, in fact, it was really there. And now you can build from there because, you know. You can't build something till you know where the bottom is. And in this case, the bottom would be eight. So from eight, I can build. But living in dreamland of a relationship that is not shared on that level, that's no good for you. So yeah, it might be a bit of a heartbreak. But at least go down to where they're at and build together from there. And you can even communicate that. You can say like, wow, you know, I'm a little hurt because I thought it was there. Now I'm finding out it's really there. So, what would it take for us to raise, raise, raise it up to a higher level? Um, I, I have to say this has been, uh, this has been uh, kind of surrealistic for me. I, I don't think I felt more comfortable anywhere than up here my whole last three decades, but I'm not so comfortable now. I'm sure I could learn to do this more comfortably. Um, but, uh, but it's, um, I was so excited when David Batura asked me to speak the second time for this Yard site. And uh, Noemi Basrivka, for, for the Yard site, the Elias Neshoma of Noemi Basrivka. Um, David's someone who's, uh, grown so much with me. I've grown so much with him. And, and, uh, he really, really believes that I, I've got something to give in this world and has done so much to make sure that happens. And I owe him a tremendous debt of gratitude. I appreciate you very much. really do. We're brothers. And uh, and for all the rest of you, um, I was really vulnerable tonight to do this. I didn't, I'm never vulnerable when I speak. I'm always very open. And it sounds like I'm being vulnerable, but I'm like, I'm Californian, man. Like, we, we just say it all. So that's natural to me, but tonight I felt vulnerable. I was—I haven't stood up in front of people very much in uh, the last year since Corona, and uh, I really, really appreciate you being here.
and giving me the chance to, you know, just let my brain kind of, you saw my brain work and when people were asking me questions, like I haven't had to do that. And so I see I still can. And it's, it makes me feel a sense of confidence in the future of my help in Claudia uh, w- once this nutty period gets behind us more. So, shalom everyone. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.